0: Open your Bibles with you this morning, if you would. Genesis 37 and Acts chapter 7. Genesis 37 and Acts chapter 7. Continuing in our series, God uses people. Looking at different people in the Old and New Testament that God uses. Some of them are great people. Some of them not so great. One of the key points that I hope to communicate through this series is that God uses anybody he wants. God is not a God who follows rules. He makes the rules as he goes on. And we have a tendency to determine rules. Like I'm not going to work with that guy or I don't like her or they can't or they won't. God doesn't see those things. He just finds people where they are. When he can use their actions, he'll do that. In good faith and he brings about his will so that's one of the main issues that we're going to talk about today God uses people studying the character of Joseph and his crazy story the coat of golden colors is that's the easy part of the story it gets crazy after that so you'll find out some of that today so keep those passages open if you would as always we pray and of course I was going to have a big celebration about the Super Bowl, or at least say something about that, and I'm glad we won. But that's not what we think about now, is it? We thought about the shooting and the tragedy, and that overshadows everything, and rightly so. So we pray for those victims. The children are fine, evidently. But the mama that lost her life, her family is devastated forever. God uses situations like this to erase us, erase us from our slumber about like crime and all those things and what is there about our culture that produces murderers at every turn and hopefully we can do something the easy answers may not be so effective and the easy answers are obvious with guns and that kind of thing but the other answers aren't so easy are they how do we fix us Because we're the ones that are broken and collectively as a culture there's something wrong with us where we are producing violent offenders at every turn. So we'll pray today that God can help us fix that. Join me in prayer please. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your presence and for your blessings for us. We gather today, safe and secure, in a land that is foremost safe and secure. But recent events show us just how easily that can be taken away. Father, we are hurting as a people. We are afraid. And we're fussing about it, of course. We pray for wisdom. We pray for healing and hope for those that have lost loved ones and those that are wounded and healing. We pray for those families that are affected. We give them peace and hope and help them to rebuild. We pray, Father, that for those that have permanent scars, physical and emotional from this, that you would heal them too. Help them to find the right people that can enable them to move on. Lord, help us. We have produced a culture that produces killers. At some point, we know we have turned from you in so many ways, and so we all bear some responsibility. We have tolerated that which is evil. We have ignored the warning signs. We ask for mercy. We ask for forgiveness. We ask for guidance. Father, we know that you have worked in horrible situations in the past. We're going to study some of those this morning. Help us to learn the lessons that we need to learn so that we can change this earth. Thank you, Father, for loving us and giving us hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I said earlier, you know the story of Joseph and his coat of many colors. And we're going to pick up after that you know that story so i'm not going to spend too much time on that story we'll touch on it but not talk about the code at all and those kinds of things but the story is really about god's sovereignty how he works so maybe our video can help you to understand a little bit of how god works bob and debbie
1: take you into my home and this is how you repay me by stealing We wouldn't steal from you. We'd never do such a thing.
0: And now you insult me by lying. What? One of you has stolen from me.
1: Benjamin. The favored one. I didn't take it! Arrest him. For what you have done, you will be punished. Put it in there! Stop! Take me instead, I I beg you. No, take me. Take me, take me, take me! Take Take any of us, Your Grace, but please, let the boy go. You would sacrifice yourselves for a half-brother who's spoiled by your father? Yes. Why? Why should you care if I take him? (laughs) Beat him, make him a slave. Because I will not make my father suffer again. Again? What do you mean, again? Our brother was not killed by wolves. We were blinded by jealousy and sold him into slavery. For 20 years we have lived with that guilt. We can't go back without the boy. My father could not bear it a second time, and neither could we. If anyone is to be punished, it should be us. joseph joseph i can't believe that he is how can it be joseph i have so much to tell you so many questions to ask joseph can you ever forgive us i already have can you forgive me for thinking i was some miracle from god You are a miracle. God sent you to save our family and all of Egypt, and you did. Osana, please, I'd like you to meet my brothers. Osana, welcome. You will join me here, all of you, with your family.
0: you, Debbie. Grabbing films from YouTube is pretty difficult, and Debbie does a great job, so thank you for that. So this is an incredible story, really. Think about it. This is a story which encompassed 30-odd years in the making, a lot of heartache and tears and almost no joy, and the whole time God was working. Interestingly, this is a story that bears on our current news situation with Israel and Palestine and who owns the land and who was there first and those kinds of things we'll talk about that in a little bit but each of these stories is a story of how God was working through people and through situations to bring about his plan I talk about his plan often I don't always know what God's plan is nor do you but when we read scripture we see God working not necessarily causing everything but working through sinful people So this crazy story of Joseph, his brothers in Egypt, and the famine that we're going to talk about, it's all true. Joseph was the favored son of his father, number 12, the baby, number 11 maybe. But he was daddy's favorite. And his brothers hated him for it. On screen is this idea we need to talk about joseph the man just talking about his family follow along with me if you would genesis 37 i'll read the first 11 verses genesis 37 beginning of verse 1. now jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned in the land of canaan these are the records of the generations of jacob joseph when 17 years of age was pastoring the flock while his brothers, while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a very colored tunic. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, so they hated him, couldn't speak to him at all. Then Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, Please listen to this dream which I've had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And lo, my sheaf rose up and also stood erect. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you actually going to reign over us? Or are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now he still had another dream. And related it to his brothers and said lo I've had another dream and behold the Sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me and he related it to his father and his brothers and his father rebuked him and said to him what is this dream that you've had shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow ourselves down before you to the ground and his brothers were jealous of him but his father kept the saying in his mind now drop down if you would to verse 18 And they saw him from a distance, and before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. Now drop down to verses 26 through 28. And Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then some Midianite traders passed by, so they pulled him up and lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Thus they brought Joseph into Egypt. A couple of things jump right out. Number one, one of the biggest problems here was daddy chose a favorite and let everybody know about it. First thing jumps out in the story. You and I understand now the emotional impact of that kind of mistake. It's easy for parents to do. And we see here what happened. His brothers hated him for it. And yet God worked. And then verse 28, the one that jumped up to me, the last phrase. Thus they brought Joseph into Egypt. The big story in the Old Testament, of course, is the Exodus event. How did the Jewish people end up slaves in Egypt? That's where it began. They took him as a slave to Egypt. And from there, everything came out of that. And that's where the Jews ended up. Decades later. So we're going to get around to all those things. For obvious reasons, all kinds of things happened, good and bad. and, And you can see some obvious problems with parenting and all those kinds of things. Of course, none of us have ever made any mistakes parenting, so we can look down our noses at them, right? You know, we understand parents have favorites, don't like it. Some kids are easier to tolerate. Some kids get along with their parents easier than others those kinds of things. In my large family, there was a family mascot. what psychiatrists call it. The family mascot is the favored child. And that wasn't me, by the way. But everybody knew who it was. And mom and dad tried to hide it, but it was pretty clear. She was just nicer than us. She was. She helped around the house. Didn't yell at mama. Didn't yell at anybody. She was just nice. And we resented her for that. She was too nice. Goody goody, two shoes. Remember all that, mom and daddy's favorite. So I understand a little bit of the resentment there. We've grown out of it, but we understand. So on screen are some similarities between Joseph and Jesus, and the reason we do this is because in the greater Christian community over history, Joseph is seen as a forerunner, a picture. Of Jesus, because some of the things that he did, his mannerisms and his lifestyle, and the things that made him Joseph, were so similar in the way Jesus lived his life. So you can see here, first of all, Joseph was sent by his father, who willingly and he willingly obeyed. He was sent by his father, remember, to check on his brothers. He probably wasn't as big, as bold as his brothers. Daddy knew that they didn't like him. Daddy knew that it would get him in trouble with his brothers because he was sent as a snitch. Check me. Let me know what your brothers are doing. That's what he went for. And the older brothers knew that. But he sent him anyway. Joseph, not being a dumb kid, understood the situation, went and obeyed. Likewise, Jesus, you know, I've talked about this imaginary conversation before time began where God discussed the predicament of the race that he would create and he said, they call it the Holy We, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They had this conversation, I need a sacrifice. Jesus. And Jesus said, yes. So said Paul, he was obedient unto death, sent by his father, willingly obeyed, revealed it is ignoble nature and was hated for it, referring to Joseph's dreams. Two dreams. Showed that he was somebody special, was going to be somebody special, was going to change everything. And because of that, they hated him. Oh, yeah? You think we're going to bow down to you? Even daddy questioned that one. Daddy didn't know what to think, so he just pondered those things. Kind of like Mary, pondered those things in her heart. But Jesus, Joseph, they revealed themselves. And when they did, they got him into trouble. When Jesus talked about his own resurrection, they thought him a fool, crazy. When he talked about his kingdom, they thought he was a rebel and rejecting God's leadership. You see, he revealed what he knew about his future and people hated him for it. Just like Joseph when he was younger. In the next screen, a couple more ideas. Raised from a place of death by the king of the land, referring to Joseph's time in prison... In those days, prison wasn't a nice place. It was literally a hole in the ground. And they would hopefully survive until they were released. It was a place of death and everybody knew it. But he escaped, remember, when he interpreted a dream. Raised from a place of death by the king of the land. The image there is apt, isn't it? Jesus, place of death, the tomb... Raised by the power of God. The Bible teaches us that by God's great power, Jesus was raised. He didn't raise himself. It was an act of God. His own great power. Exercise dominion and power over death. raising him from the place of death to be alive. And finally, the last one. There are many, but one last one we'll talk about. Acknowledged as Savior of the people. Because as you remember the story, Joseph ended up in control really of the civilized world and all the food. For seven years, Pharaoh had collected all the food per Joseph's interpretation and suggestion. Joseph had been in charge of it by the time this came about. And they took everybody's grain, one-seventh of everybody's grain, they just took it. Heavy taxation. And they saved the world because of that, because as did Joseph's family, And others from all over the world, in that part of the world anyway, when they needed food, they went to Egypt and they purchased it. And when they had no more money, they traded in the deeds to their land simply to stay alive. And Joseph took care of that. Savior of the people and the food. Jesus, because of his resurrection, Savior of the people. We talk about Jesus as Savior, don't we? Not because of any great work of his, but because God raised him from the dead and used his crucifixion to save us, Savior of humanity, for eternity. There are a lot of other similarities, but scholars and preachers and common wisdom have come up with this idea that Joseph is a a picture, a type of Jesus. So you can look at those old stories and this story and others like it are the way preachers communicated the gospel to people that had never heard it before. You see, you and I are a little bit jaded. This is all old news to us. We've heard these stories and we've kind of forgotten how fantastic they are. It's amazing, isn't it? But when people had never heard the gospel and people needed a very human story full of intrigue and drama and all those things that people like in a good story, this story was one of them. It had everything. Everything. Good guys, bad guys, victory over evil. That's a good story. So this is what preachers have done for centuries. They've taken this story and helped people understand what was really going on. This is how God works. So Joseph is a pivotal figure, not just in Old Testament history, but in New Testament history because his story was told and is still being told. It's a great story with kids. It's a great story for adults if you hear it. So we've talked about Joseph the man. Now we're going to talk about Joseph the event. Remember, this is the pattern for these sermons. Talk about the person. Then talk about the events of their lives that made them so famous. Now if you would, turn to the book of Acts in chapter 7. In your New Testament, Acts chapter 7. I'll read verses 9 through 18. Acts chapter 7, beginning at verse 9. And the patriarchs became jealous of Joseph and sold him into Egypt. And yet God was with him. And he rescued him from all his afflictions and granted him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him a governor over Egypt and all his household. Now a famine came over all Egypt and Canaan, and great affliction with it. And our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers there the first time. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family was disclosed to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent word and invited Jacob and his father and all his relatives to come to him, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down to Egypt, and there passed away he and our fathers. And from there they were removed to Shechem and laid in the tomb which Abraham had purchased for a sum of money from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. But as the time of the promise was approaching, which God had assured to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose another king over Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. So this is here in verse 18, is where Joseph's story ends. So what we want to do is talk a little bit about this great event. It's a huge thing. You remember the coat of many colors, favored son, resentment. It just got worse. So they saw him coming. They wanted to kill him. Some of them just wanted to kill this kid and get him out of there. And one said, no, let's not do that. He's our own kid. We don't want to kill our own blood. That'd be bad. Let's sell him into slavery. That'd be good. You know, how it's strange, isn't it, how we can distort our own sin to cover up for our sin. He knew it was bad to kill his brother, but it was okay to sell his brother into sin. Strange thing. No humor there, but... The irony is you could cut it with a knife. So they said, sure, we might as well make some money off this chump. So they threw him in the pit. Slave traders came and they bought him for 20 pieces of silver. Sold him to a guy named Potiphar. You remember that story. Rich guy. Interestingly, the passage says that they took care of all of his afflictions. Joseph was sick. Remember, he'd been in prison. Took care of him. Potter trusted this kid and put him in charge you may think that odd I've talked about stewards and what stewardship is we talked about stewardship a couple of weeks ago a guy with money is desperate for good good workers people he can trust you know that you know nothing's changed thousands of years later when you look for someone to hire you look for a good guy You look for character issues. You don't look for just skills and looks and those kinds of things. You look at character issues. Can I trust this guy? Can he do the job? Can I trust him with everything? Joseph was someone that he could trust. There were dreams and interpretations. And while he was there in prison, and I'm blending the stories a little bit, skipping some things for time, And Pharaoh had a dream. Seven skinny cows, seven fat cows. What? But it was a dream that Pharaoh couldn't shake. So he had all his smart guys get together and told the story of his dream of seven skinny cows and seven fat cows. And no one knew what it meant. And some guy that had been in prison with Joseph said, you know, I remember this guy. He could interpret dreams. Well, where is he? Well, he's back in prison. We'll bring him to me. So they got him, cleaned him up. You know the rest of the story. Joseph interpreted the story correctly. There would be seven good years and then seven lean years, and the lean years would eat up the profit of the good years. In the dream, the seven skinny cows would eat the seven fat cows. So it's obviously a dream. But he interpreted to mean. There's going to be seven great years, lots of crops, lots of food, lots of money. And there's going to be a devastating famine for the next seven years. And everybody's going to die if we don't do something. The story rang true. It didn't make sense, but it rang true. So he was soon in charge. Everywhere Joseph went, he went in charge. He was so smart, such a good guy. So in the video, we have the story where at the... During this time of seven lean years, Joseph had been in charge for seven years and he led the nation literally to build storehouses and save all the grain that they could and it was a time of a raging economic bonanza and everybody was doing great. The farmers were doing great, the the sailors and those who traded all the stuff, they were doing great and everybody thought it was going to be forever but Joseph knew better and sure enough after seven years, the rains stopped. And the droughts came. And people started starving. And so Joseph began the sale. And people would come and they would buy grain as much as they could. And they would go back and stay. And this is how Abraham's family got there. And Jacob's family got there. And they came to buy grain. And you know the rest of the story, which was in the video. And they didn't know that Joseph, this guy in Egypt under control, was that spoiled brat they sold into slavery they didn't know that you know you think sometimes they surely they would have recognized him but it had been decades and it was an impossible thing Joseph planted a golden goblet in a sack of grain and you saw that in the video and at the end they fessed up it's a true story you can see these scoundrels Fasten up to what they had done. Joseph could have killed them all, couldn't he? And he'd have been by his rights. But instead, out of love and grace, he offered forgiveness. See, there's that picture of Jesus again. Jesus had every reason and right to kill and destroy his enemies. But he forgave. Joseph could have done the very same thing. He could have killed them all. Could have explained the situation to Pharaoh and he would have said, I'd kill him too, get rid of him. And that had been all right with him. But then there's that phrase that this is how they ended up in Egypt. Fulfilling the promise to Abraham. Remember, God promised Abraham a sea that would be unnumbered. And that wasn't going to happen where they were. But in Egypt, there was food. In Egypt, there were jobs. And the Jewish people flourished. Now, the end of the story, and we'll cover this later, another sermon. The end of the story ends up in Exodus chapter 1. The Hebrew people that came when Joseph was giving food. They built their lives in Egypt and they literally had so many babies there were too many of them there were too many Jews there and the people began to be afraid and so after the Pharaoh that knew Joseph was dead the new guy came on and and this went on for decades and and the Hebrew people were just growing so fast they were becoming a problem and so that was an issue see that was the way God was working to bless them to promise Abraham so God worked through a a really bizarre situation To bring about a blessing to his people. A promise he had made to Abraham. See how that works. So what we have here is a story of God working through people with problems. You know, I look through this story because, you know, (coughs) excuse me, we talk about God working through people with problems, but I'm looking for someone that was innocent in this whole affair. And there isn't anyone innocent. Think about this characters in the story the brothers were jealous they were criminal they sold their brother into slavery just because they didn't like him they lied about it for decades to their daddy in the video it showed him with a guilt thing maybe maybe not we don't know but they lived with that guilt for 20 years at least Potiphar and his wife Well, she was just a liar he ended up in prison for his, dis- for his supposed discretions with her. Nothing really happened. He was innocent in that respect. But she lied. And he was in prison for that. She wasn't innocent. Sentence to jail was based on a lie. Pharaoh, he was Pharaoh. These guys were pagan. These weren't good people. In ancient cultures, even the best people had to be pretty ruthless to stay in power. It's hard for us to understand because we live in a just society where people supposedly follow rules and laws and those kinds of things. But I would just simply point to world leaders in our world today. Putin's the most obvious. Good leaders, right? I mean, they're in control, very popular in their country. What happened to his opponent in the safety of a prison? Well, he's dead, isn't he? This is the way of the world. Pharaoh did that. This is what Pharaohs did. They're murderers, sure. Nothing innocent about them. God used Pharaoh, didn't he? To bless his people. God used the systems and processes that were failed to bless his people. The Abrahamic culture was depraved. Uh, You know, they just were. They were functions, they were products of a culture that was steeped in sin. The reason I say that is because we're looking for innocent people that God can use and there aren't any. You see, this is the great story that God can work through guilty people. And isn't that the great story? I mean, I would love to say that God uses innocent people. When I went to preacher school a long time ago, One of the preachers said this in chapel. We were forced to go to chapel two times a week. And they had to make us because we'd skip if they let us. So anyway, we went to church multiple times every week. Preach, preach, preach. And we had all these sermons. And one guy said something. And all those preacher boys just thought he was was the bee's knees. He was great. He spoke with conviction and, and spoke about the Bible and God's will and all those kinds of things. And he said in one sermon and got an ovation... That God can't use people with sin in their lives. He was talking to us preacher boys about how we need to get our lives cleaned up. And if you want God to use you, you need to get sin out of your life. So that made sense to us because we were sinners, we were dumb kids, and we knew it. But we took it to mean God couldn't use people with sin in their lives. That's what He said. I heard that over and over and over in preacher school. And then one night I was thinking, and I had never done that before, I guess. And I thought, no, wait. If God can't use people with sin in their lives, well, there's not many of them around. Everybody I knew was a sinner. Me included. You included. But God works anyway, doesn't he? God used all those people that were sinners and flawed, and he did so because his cause is greater than our sin. And that doesn't mean our sin is acceptable to him. He's appalled by it, and we are accountable to him for it. But see, God is greater in his sovereignty and power than anything you and I can do. You can't stop God's will. People have tried. God has this way of just working around and through and with and because of and in spite of. He's God we have these rules like I said earlier God can't use X he can't use these well he won't let those God does whatever he wants I finally had a preacher in another class in another school say that and I woke up and he said if God can't use sinful people who's he going to use because everybody is a sinner I mean that is what the scriptures teach right all of sin and fall short of the glory of God the reality is every one of us is worthy of hell for whatever reason but if you step up to serve God will use you, flaws and all sometimes in spite of your flaws and sometimes he will use your flaws as a way to work into people's lives and give you some commonality with them and that's a pretty amazing thing Over the years, I've encountered different people who could work with different groups. And I couldn't relate to them. For instance, I've never used drugs. I was never tempted by drugs or alcohol. It just wasn't my thing. Other things, yes. But that just never entered my mind or practices. And it's really hard for me to relate to people who have drug and addiction issues. Because of that, I just don't have much in common with them. But... There are ministers out there who have struggled with that in their own lives and they're very effective with the, that kind of individual. They have some commonality of experience. See, God uses people with sin in their past to reach people with that same sin. It's the way God works. God is sovereign. I remember the preachers, the teachers talking about sovereignty all the time and I never quite understood all of it. I'm beginning to get a little of it. In his absolute sovereignty, God can work. See if we can go to that next screen, Debbie. God is at work in ways that we can never imagine. So what we need to do is seek to follow him and join him. So forget measuring sticks. Quit beating yourself up because you're not perfect. Perfect you're not like someone else or you did this God knows all your dirt so when you pray just be honest with him it's all you need to do you don't need to act like he's forgotten he hasn't no matter how long it was he remembers and yet here's the amazing thing about God God says listen let's start over to every one of us every day I know you did this yesterday confess it own up to it let's move on Every time. And God can use you. Don't think that God can't use you. Don't think that God isn't working now within you. Or through you in some way. You know, you just don't know what you're doing sometimes. And sometimes just through the normal course of events, you can make an impact on someone's life. And you might not even be aware of it. Other times, you do something, it's just everyday stuff. And it puts you in a position to do something later through a relationship or an encounter or an ability several years ago one of my larger family members had some pretty significant emotional distress and I got to get involved in that and take him to a a therapist And, and I learned some things about therapy even though I got a degree and I'm a trained counselor you know those things but but I learned things I had never heard of before and Talk about daycare parents, there is a daycare daddy now who's going through significant issues with PTSD and those kinds of things. And, and I've been able to talk to him about things that n- he had never heard before just because I had some really bad experiences a long time ago with one of my family members. I didn't. At the time, it was miserable and excruciating for our greater family. But God was working, wasn't he? He helped me to understand something. And 20 years later, it comes up in a conversation. You see, that's how God works. It doesn't mean you're smart or anything. Just God uses you. So what you have to do is live your life. Avoid sin as much as you can. Pay attention to what's going on around you. And when you encounter someone that needs help, You may find out that you've got something they need, an experience or a bit of knowledge or a sense of compassion that others don't have. Use it. See, that's how God works. He's sovereign. He's working in your life, and you just don't know how he's going to use you. When Joseph was in prison, he had no idea God would use him. When his brothers sold him into slavery... He had no idea. They had no idea of what was going to happen. They couldn't have predicted the future down the road. And Abraham had received the promise. And Jacob had received the promise of this vast population of Israelites. And they just couldn't imagine it. And God worked didn't he? And here we are 2,000 years after the fact. 3,000 years And we're talking about this nation of Israel. How did the Jewish people end up in Egypt? And then why were they called Israelites? And all those kinds of things. And where did they go after they got out of Egypt? And God was working. Has nothing to do with politics. Everything to do with the way God works. So I guess that's the great story of this story. That's why it's such a great story. Because it teaches each of us that God can use you as you are. Live your life, make the best of it, and pay attention. And somewhere along the way, God will use you and rest in that. Nate's going to come and lead us in a closing hymn of invitation. The invitation is to follow Jesus, to do your best to resist sin and live the life that God wants you to live, and be on the alert for ways that God might use you. Why don't you stand with me as Nate leads us. Come forward if you'd like. you all have come to worship with us today I do need two or three individuals who might be able to help me do some nasty work in the back part of the building this afternoon so if that sounds like something to be interested in um, come up and hang around with me for a few minutes okay and we'll go check some things out Andy would you lead us in a closing prayer
1: you really sold them Kev I promised Kev I'd be a little bit more coherent than Travis Kelsey this week, so if you'll bow with me, I promise just to be a a touch more coherent than Travis. Lord, thank you for the message that we received today. As Kevin said, God uses people, and we ask that you allow this congregation to look for opportunities for us to be used to deliver his message. As we've discussed in the past, God does not call the call... God does not call the qualified, he qualifies the cult. Amen.